I have Muslim co-workers, Muslims on my team, people from the LGBTQIA plus community. They still belong to me and I still belong to them. And if they don't belong, I dang sure don't belong. It is virtually impossible for us to have a diverse, loving world if you don't have diverse, loving tables. And I think that's what a protest is. I tell them, hey, this is the moment where you're saying, I have to let them know I'm getting punched in the eyes. I am now beaten, I'm broken, I am battered, and yeah. I have to fight back. And as you're watching them in on, on the streets, crying and yelling in anger and saying, we don't deserve this, we are more, you are watching a people say, I know I have worth. Mm -hmm. I know I deserve to be treated the same way you do treat it. Hey, welcome back to Burn the Ships, the podcast for dreamers who want to live more courageously. I am Jordan Nations, and honestly, I can't think of a time in my life that's required more courage than we need today. So for this episode, I sit down with some of the wisest voices in Atlanta, Joseph Sojourner, Tony Collier, Stuart Hall, to talk about everything that we're going through with the tragic murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, sparking protests and extreme emotion across the country. I wanted to learn what it means to be courageous now. In this day, with our very real systemic problems at hand, and man, did these guys come through. So if you're somebody who wants to understand racism in America better or figure out what to do with all these emotions that you're feeling, this one is for you. Hey, welcome back to Burn the Ships. I'm Jordan Nations, and today I am joined by an awesome group of people that I'm really excited about um, for a really, really what seems like important conversation that everyone's having and that I'm really excited about. To my right is my friend Joseph Sojourner in the house. Uh, Stuart Hall is over here. Tony Collier. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah. This is so going to be awesome. Um, we, yeah, it's been a heavy week. There's been so much going on in our country. Um, not to mention we were already in a pandemic, which I know has been very personal here as well. And now there's all these like race things, right, that, that are going on in the murder of Maude Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Uh, protests that are going on, riots that are going on, and we're here in Atlanta where there are riots happening not far away, mm. and people are feeling all sorts of heavy emotions. And so the goal today is to figure out where's the empathy, how do we relate to this, mm. and then what is the action that we take from that. And I really am just excited to learn from you guys and the wisdom that you have and what you bring to the table today. And I think people are they're just they're so fortunate to be listening. I feel like crazy fortunate just to be in the room. It's so fun. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we're not here for pleasantry or political correctness. We're here for like raw and honest and hopeful at the same time and figure out what we're feeling. So we're here to burn the ship. We're here to burn hey. the ship. It's, it's a great name. So, the match is name lit. Is, this, this is perfect. So hey, let's this is going to be it. so fun. I would love maybe to start if we just go around the room and introduce who you are, what you do, where you're from, uh, let people know who they're listening to. I'll go first. Uh, my name is Joseph Sojourner, born and raised in Akron, Ohio, groomed by the South, living here in Atlanta, Georgia. Groomed. And groomed. Hello. I am the man I am because of this city You've said right that here. Before. So I absolutely love it. Um, and uh, I get a chance to, I own a company called Two Cents Creatives. We get to create experiences uh, around things that matter. And so that's what we do every day. Uh, and then I travel and I speak. I, I always tell people I write and then I speak about the things that I write about. So that's mm. what I get to do for a cool. living. So cool. blessed. Yeah. Your hair is really long. Okay. <laughs> Stuart, I would, back when I, I had would to be, wave, I would baby. be careful to say I'm groomed. <laughs> uh, Stuart Hall, I am the elder statesman here. Okay. Oh, come um, on. We need that. We need that. Uh, Wisdom. 30 plus year youth ministry veteran. Um mm. 
best part about me is I'm married to an incredible woman. And one cool thing is that our my son, our son, is sitting in the corner listening, who is unbelievably knowledgeable and really helps me learn about this particular topic. But I am the director of student leadership for Orange and also run an organization called Influencer. Although we can't spell it correctly, we're it's fine. Everything's good. Yeah, we're 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 trying to help the next generation of leaders yeah. raise up and be worth following. So, cool. thanks for having me, Jordan. Cool. Yeah. Tony. Tony. Yay. <laughs> well, my name is Tony Collier. I'm originally from Houston, Texas. Houston. I can drop the mic right now. Texas. It is the most Texas. diverse city in America. Which is also the most diverse city in America. (laughs) And what I do love about my story, however, is that I've been in Atlanta for 10 years and there has been a huge difference in my experience and my friendships and the way that I view the world because I moved to Atlanta and it's been so helpful and beautiful, but I get the opportunity to uh, do two things that I'm so proud of. Um, One, I get to help women find hope in the middle of brokenness through Mm -hmm. an organization called Broken Crayon Still Color. And I get to head up um, peacemaking initiatives for an organization called Preemptive Love Coalition. We do peacemaking work in Iraq, in Syria, Venezuela now, as well as the Mexico border, and now the United States. And so um, it's been beautiful. I've been building small groups for peace all across the U.S. and now the world, and it's just been amazing. So wow. cool, very cool. Well, uh, Joe, you you jumped the gun earlier. You were ready to start before we even got to it. Um, but this it. this whole thing started with a tweet that you said uh, that you Uh-oh. tweeted this week that I have here on the iPad. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. You Whoa. said, uh, "Hey, I know, I know." What I said? Uh, <laughs> no, you said this is what you said. You said silence is violence is what we believe. Our generation won't relent. This is our hill. At this point, burn the ships. No one goes back. And I love this is we we have been talking uh, like two weeks ago and you were just telling me, walking me through like the history of this phrase, burn the ships. And so I'm 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 watching the news. I'm taking this all in and I'm saying, hey, we're the generation that's saying something has to change. We're not going to stop until uh, this fraternity of police officers begins to realize that police need to be policed in moments as well. And so I said, we're going to die on this hill, burn the ships. And, it, and as soon as I said it, I, I tweeted it out there, then I, I immediately feel guilty because I was like, now wait, you just took his whole thing. <laughs> you stole it. <laughs> and, and so at that point, I turn around and I'm like, I need to do uh, Jordan's podcast because this is what it's all about. I mean, yeah. if I truly feel like it's time to burn the ships, then it's only right that, that we talk about it right here. And so I hit him up and I'm thinking, Jordan's probably going to say no. Like, right. I'm not trying to no talk to about us. this right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he says yes. And so I'm like, here we go. So that's really, thank you for doing this. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, I thought about just posting back an Insta story that just said no publicly. <laughs> I want that moment just for Joseph. I want it. Nah. Public rejection is my favorite. This is the best. It's, it's so probably, good. Probably not. No. So <laughs> I'm sweet. so glad when you did because I really, I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation. That's great. Uh, I want to start by just asking open floor, like, what are you feeling with everything that's going on? And that's heavy. And I think it's going to take us a little bit. But what are you feeling? Anyone go first that wants to. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, come on, Tony. I'm the woman come here. On, I'm Tony. gonna put these Go emotions out yes. there right on the table. Show them. Gro- um, groomed in the south, ladies. Yeah, Go groomed. first. Groomed in the south. <laughs> these Georgia peaches here. Um, well, that was good. Thank you. Okay, I am feeling a lot of emotions. If we're just gonna be honest, I um I think for the first time in a long time I feel 
um, embarrassment a little bit. It's it's a weird thing. I kind of feel like a middle school girl ashamed of, you know, the front two teeth that won't come out, you know, uh, that won't grow out the adult teeth. I'm, you know, a little chubby around the edges. You know, I was a little thick back then. But, you know, I, I'm, I feel that kind of embarrassment, but I feel it for something I can't change, something that will never grow out of. And it's the color of my skin. And it's weird. It's so weird. I, I look at, you know, white friends and, you know, white counterparts that I maybe haven't met before or I'm just interfacing with. And I, I literally have this thought in the back of my mind, do they like me or not? And it's this innocent fear and embarrassment. It's it's new for me. I've never felt that way before. I think there is 100% um, everything to say about me growing up in Houston and it being so diverse and then coming to Atlanta and having a personal culture shock myself. I said, now where all these black people come from? I've never even seen this. And now I feel like once I've finally gotten settled and found my voice as an African-American woman, it feels like this bittersweet display of hatred and hope. And I'm like, where do I fall on that? So I'm in this like mm. super messy place. But I was telling the guys like earlier, but I'm really grateful in this moment to be a follower of Jesus, to have this Christian badge, um, because where, where my strength runs out, God is just like pouring into me. And so I'm hopeful, too, which is kind of weird, um, but just grateful grateful to even be able to say and breathe today that there's still hope. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, when I first saw the news, I'm going to take you into kind of the darkest thought I had. And the darkest thought was if the pedestrians standing by with their cameras out focused on George Floyd as, mm. he, as the officer is on his throat, if they had just stepped forward and touched an officer, would this even happen? Like, would we even be here? And you realize that for a lot of uh, my friends that if they had seen them attack the officer or try to get him off of George, they would have said, well, that's the reason why things escalated. And so it's almost, and this is going to sound horrible, but I just need y'all to hear me out. This is going to sound horrible, but it's almost like they had to stand by and mm. let him die a slow death in order for it to break America's heart. Mm. Uh, wow. Because if they had fought the officers, it would have put us back in the same conversation that we end up in. And so that was my first feeling. My first feeling was, why, why did this have to happen like, like this? Why did George have to die in front of us like mm. that from, from 40 different angles and different camera phones? Uh, and then you begin to really just say, his life has to mean something. If, if someone has to die like that... Um, and then we have to rise up and do something about it. And so yeah. uh, I'm proud of the peaceful protests that are happening all throughout the nation right now. I'm saying, okay, he gave his life uh, in a peaceful manner, did not fight back on the officers. And, and, and the people who stood by respected the law enforcement and we abided by the law. So at yeah. this point, we're now going to challenge it. And so that's how those are my feelings right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm on a seesaw of being brokenhearted and angry. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I just keep going back and forth. Um, like Tony, I'm embarrassed, but as a white person, I'm embarrassed for people that have the same melanin that I do and are ignorant mm -hmm. and uninformed. And probably the part that angers me the most is unwilling to... Someone said it very well, 400 years of isolated incidents aren't isolated incidents. Hmm. And unfortunately, 
there are way too many people that look like me in America that are unwilling to do their homework. And <laughs> Joseph and I have laughed about this before, but I liken it to an NBA scout watching Steph Curry at Davidson, who he just goes off his last two years there, but they refuse to believe what they were seeing. And so he, he, he gets drafted late in the first round because nobody would believe what they were seeing. And it feels that way that there, you know, people that look like me are looking at this and they are hearing, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot to hear the stories and it doesn't take a lot to be very candid with you to study the history. The question is, will you believe it? And until people that look like me believe it, mm. it, it we are f- we are way past the point where the oppressed people need to be the people speaking up for their rights and speaking up against a systemic oppression. It needs to be the people who instituted the systemic oppression. And unfortunately, there's not enough of that. Um, yeah. So... That's the anger part of me. And then the brokenheartedness is sitting between two friends uh, along with countless others and like feeling their pain and I can't do anything about it. And I realize that people like me are the reason for it. And like Tony, you walk around people that you know love you, Mm. but you wonder, do they think I'm like that? Mm. Yeah. And uh, so that's the reason for the seesaw, I think. I just want to say that like, the reason why I called both of you is because I think in, in watching you both and walking with you both, you know who to call in moments like this. So I just yeah. want to affirm you and let you know, like, I really admire the man you are. Yeah. And that, um, yeah, I just think uh, black people, we know the ones that understand us and understand mm-hmm. our story. And so uh, we're not overly emotional. Uh, and... Um, and yet I understand what Stuart's saying because I think that I was journaling about that not too long ago, that that breaks my heart that my white brothers and sisters are worried about, do they think it's me? Like, are they are they wondering if it's me? Because I think black people have the same thing. I mean, we understand that if one black person fights in a bar, mm-hmm. we're, yep. acro- we're across that bar thinking, oh, mm-hmm. man, well. All of us. All of us. We all look like we're fighting now. And so uh, yep. and so I understand. I but think, we know you don't go to bars, Joseph. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I th- I think that yeah. I have those thoughts, That's, and we know you frequent the. Bar. We know you're always at the bar, Tony. <laughs> at the okay. bar, yeah, yeah. What is uh What is the difference you're talking about? And I know the other day we talked about you've been talking to a ton of people. Mm-hmm. As you're talking to your white friends, um, what is the feeling you get as you're getting these questions or people are responding? Yeah. Like you kind of have to catch their processing sometimes. I'm sure. What is that like? Sure. What are you feeling in that moment? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the the what I hold on to as far as my mindset. I feel like it is um, some of my white friends. It's as if you were just diagnosed with a tumor. Yeah. And this puts you in the correct posture when when they're talking because I know some of my black friends are like so many people are calling my phones and and, and they'll get tired or they'll get run down yep. or they'll get upset about it. And I always tell them, hey, I think when you've been raised with the story of America, your entire life since a child, and then suddenly you see something or your eyes open to it and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm sick. Mm-hmm. I'm the one with the tumor and it was blocking my sight. 
And in that moment, when they reach out to you yeah. and they call you and say, I, I believe that I might have something blocking my sight, the surgery begins. And I do, I want to talk to black leaders right now and, and, and Mexican leaders because I think they're having the same thing as I'm talking to them. At that moment, our posture has to be uh, slow, steady, considerate, uh, because the worst thing is losing them on the table. And, th- and that is going too fast and trying to uh, take our eyes off of the fact that they've approached us about their tumor. It's not about us in that moment. It is about them saying, I now see that I'm not seeing straight and I need this removed. And I think that's where the conversation begins. Yeah. And so a lot of them which are, are tired, I say, hey, listen, I, I worked in healthcare for over 13 years. Watching these doctors during this coronavirus has been absolutely uh um, inspirational because you're realizing they're tired, they're broken, but they keep cutting and they keep having these surgeries. Yeah. And so for me in these times, sure, my phone's going crazy and sure in moments I'm tired, but I understand these conversations are my responsibility and these mm. surgeries have to happen. And I pray that every single person that walks out of that conversation is seeing just a bit more clearly. Yeah, that's amazing. I literally had this conversation with a black friend this morning who was just being honest and expressing like how tired and shocked and exhausted she is to have these conversations with her white friends. And my response was very similar to what you're saying, Joseph. It's this, it's a complex answer because I think we are not accepting the complexities of the issue itself. And then therefore the leaking of complexity onto people. So we're already different innately. Like we already process things differently and our lives have so many different stories. But now we're talking about an issue that used to be very clear. It used to be, no, it's not okay for a black person not to be able to drink out of that water fountain. It's I want to swim in the same pool. I want to be in the same, you know, bus with you. And now that the issue's not that way, now that it is this huge glacier underneath the water that we're now having to claw at and pick at and unveil, that also means that it's leaking over into the way that people process. Mm. And so the common misconception, I think the worst thing we can do is assume that all black people are in the same place Mm -hmm. and all white people are in the same place. My friends come to me off of the heels of having conversations with black people who are angry and tired and have no capacity. And they're tiptoeing around me who has an abundance of grace and space and opportunity to have these conversations with them. But they're just scared because on one part of their timelines, they see silence is violence. On another part of their timelines, they see White people, shut up. Let black people have a voice (laughs) on the other. I mean, it's like this complex, messy issue. And if we don't have the capacity to deal with every crevice of this complex issue, then we have to be honest and voice that we and grace and love and say, you know what? I love that you've reached out to me. I need some time and capacity or use one of the what platinum rules. It's like if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say nothing at all. Take Mm. your space. Heal. Take it. But if you feel a responsibility to call, like I think Joseph and I have, y- you lean in and you and you do it tired and scared and exhausted and you fight. And there's no right or wrong way to navigate this. It's through the lens of love, according to your capacity, your capacity in the middle of a complex, messy yeah. situation. Mm. Do, you, do you feel tired and scared and exhausted? Um, at peaks of the day, yeah. Yeah. 
And those are the times when I have to take responsibility for my own space and health. I have a husband. I have a daughter. I have other responsibilities that require me to know my body, know my mind, know my emotions, and even know my spiritual capacity, too, because I'm veering on the side of Jesus all day. And so there's a certain requirement of me, even as a Christian, to be able to maneuver through these things with love and grace and peace and hope. And so... Yeah, I get tired. Yeah. And in those moments that I'm tired, I take my behind in my little office <laughs> and shut it down for a little while so that I can continue to operate in the ways that I really, truly want to be when I'm at my highest capacity. It's funny. Yesterday, uh, I was pretty exhausted myself. And one white friend called me in the morning and brought me breakfast. And another white friend called at dinner time and said, hey, I, I want to bring you dinner. And so I do think they're watching uh, right now. They're watching... Um, carefully and saying how how can I help and so mm. even in those moments when we are tired we're still supported by obviously black people and white people so it's it's I think yeah. we're all in this together yeah 100% I had boom chicka pop on my uh, porch when I got back home it's my really? favorite popcorn I said this has got to be a white friend <laughs> this has got to be I get, then I get a text you have you made it home yet? I said there you there are girl uh, founder. <laughs> It thrills my soul to hear your H-Town coming out like every that? once in a while. Thank That's you so much. I have to let it. I take my behind him in that room. <laughs> How about as parents? What does this feel like as parents, uh, you know, as you're navigating that? I feel like that probably adds a whole other mm-hmm. dimension to this. Joseph? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That would be the worst. Oh. Well, it's on there. I got well, a kid. No, 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 I did it. Okay, no, Drake. I can't answer this. This would have been a great moment. I'm trying to relieve the Surprise. pressure or tension in the room. I, I mean, you, your little one. I can't talk about it. I need you to go first because I need, like, a buffer. Well, I, mm-hmm. our home feels like a protest on the verge of breaking out all the time. Yeah. Because of the incredibleness of my wife and I think how uh, it's been really, really encouraging and inspirational to watch our children love their friends and uh, they don't see color. They celebrate it. That's, and that's different. Mm -hmm. A lot of white people are like, I want to be colorblind and that's the most ignorant thing you can say. The fact that our our kids see color and celebrate it and they want to stand up for the oppressed. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of conversations. Uh, our son is sitting in the corner here. And yesterday we had probably a 45-minute conversation of just about how hopeless it feels. Mm-hmm. Because, and I know we're going to get to this, Jordan, That's but, yeah. I mean, at some point, what do we do? Um yeah. Growing up, though, I mean, because this is, I've always wondered this because my mom, I'm sure Tony's parents obviously had conversations with us about the racial situation in America. Yeah. As you're as you're raising your kids, like, are there any defining moments that you would say that you were like, it's time for us to talk about race? Well, that was part of what we discussed yesterday because Grant was really imploring us to embrace the the times when we weren't as, mm. you know open to things. Um, and that's, I don't know if you guys are this way, but it's hard for me sometimes to look backwards and go, okay, when was I that way? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm from South Alabama, the heart of Dixie. Uh, I don't know if you guys realize this, but today in Alabama is a state holiday where they celebrate 
Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy's mm. birthday. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so I have every reason to have a really backwards view of this whole thing. And for some reason, I think a lot of it, and we've talked about this before on other podcasts and with each other, uh, I played basketball growing up and played basketball in college, and I wound up being the minority a lot. Mm-hmm. And that was a eye-opening thing for me to feel that and to, you know. So that kind of set me up as I got older to realize there's so much uh, bigotry and and hate in the world and I don't want to be a part of that and when I met Kelly we had a lot of conversations when we were dating like what kind of parents do we want to be and and so we didn't do everything right I'm sure there was fear in our hearts that was transplanted to our kids but one thing we tried very hard to do and I think this is good for everybody but especially white people that are listening to this it is it is virtually impossible for us to have a diverse, loving world if you don't have diverse, loving tables. Mm-hmm. That's good. And we say that again. I forgot what I said. Um, <laughs> but I'm here it's for impossible it. Impossible for us to have yeah. a diverse, loving world if we do not have diverse, loving tables. Yeah, it, it starts. It starts with the people that you do life with, yeah. and we want. We want to. We you know, we want to change the world, but we won't even change our world. Come on. So. I think if we've done anything right, it's that our closest friends, and this is even probably out there, but our closest friends aren't what you would call within the hub of the Christian circle uh, because of a variety of reasons. Athletics is a part of it. We have our closest friends are people of color. Um, New Year's Eve, we looked up, and the only white people in our house was our family. (laughs) Um, But... How wild was that party? Yeah. <laughs> but you brought that new year in right Come now. On. <laughs> if Tony was there, it was probably Nesk. <laughs> Actually, I wish Tony would have been Gosh, there. Gosh, I want to be there. Sign me up. Joe would have been boring. But. Yeah. <laughs> but what we've tried to do, even in That's those right. settings, is just listen. And, you know, we're not – I just we just want to learn. Yeah. yeah. So – and to see the posture that our children have taken in their respective – schools, whether it was in middle school, high school, or college, and now in the workforce and who they do life with. I just think that's, it's not as, it's not rocket science. Will you decide to just have a diverse table? Um, that's good. And a lot of people don't even have people of color as their friends. And yet we want to, <laughs> yeah. you know, we want to march off and change the world. I mean, we've we've heard this a ton, but if you're white and you're listening Look at the photos that you have in your iPhone. Do they represent any diversity? And if not, you need to change that. Yeah. I would say parenting as a black parent in America is one of the most complex issues that we haven't talked about yet. Mm. It is nuts. Okay. You first of all, you have to calculate the amount of trauma you want to expose your kid to depending on the age that they are. Hmm. I can't show my five-year-old that video. I can't. So I have to teach her from the five-year-old perspective what hatred is and and what racism is, and literally to hear her say it then triggers me in the freaking conversation. It is nuts. Like, I'm literally talking to my daughter about racism, 
And every time she says it, I just cringe. And I, I, I told everyone this earlier, but I had to go pick up my daughter's yearbook today from her kindergarten year. She was so excited. It was lit. It was great. <laughs> She's like on 10. And I'm like, yeah, we're picking it up from one of the moms from the class. We're going to go to this neighborhood. It's going to be amazing. We're going to pick it up. It's going to be amazing. Your picture's going to be in. It's going to be great. I pull up to the driveway and there's a Trump Pence sign in their front yard. The mom is nowhere to be found, but her husband and son are there throwing the ball back and forth. And I pull up my car in the driveway and they're in the driveway and literally so many thoughts. I'm like, okay, let me stay far back because I don't want them to think that I am going to run them over. And then do they even know who I am? Like, has this woman told her husband that this black woman is getting ready to come and pick up this yearbook? And then I'm like, well, I don't have anything against this man but then like is he gonna say something rude to me is he gonna call me something in front of my daughter and it's just it's crazy and it's scary and it's weird and to get back in the car and have to show face to my daughter who's who she just saw her friend in the yard that she goes to class with is just crazy and I don't want her to hate her friends but I need her to understand like it's it's just so complex I almost can't even explain it I think the only thing that has given me hope is the fact that I will fight for a better world for my mm. daughter. Uh, and I'm going to fight for it in mm. love mm -hmm. so that she can reciprocate that. I have to ask you this because, I mean, I think watching you with Dylan is mind-blowing how good you are. Mm -hmm. uh, Dylan having so many white friends, because I feel like this is going to end up being something that we talk about essentially later. Yeah. Has she ever struggled with her identity being the black girl yep. in these with so many in a white classes a yep. lot of times? So we moved schools. First of all, let me just say this. We moved schools for this very reason. We wanted a more diversity in her classroom. So shout out to like perimeter, because for some reason it's just nicely mixed up in there. But <laughs> Dylan straight up told me maybe about six months ago she has a little crush on this boy in class he is peach according to her peach peach is that can you translate it's peach crayon. for me again? it's crayon that's okay crayon. Oh, okay it's the crayons it. it's peach no, with it. you took me back because to like white first doesn't, grade I used right, to call because white doesn't really show up on show many up. of the papers uh, and so peach. for her she's like next best thing Peach. peach good has this crush she's like i mean just the typical girl crush she's like drawing pictures of her and this boy at like all the different settings and i pick up one of her papers i said who is this girl and with with the with this little boy and she said oh that's me but i'm peach though because i want to be peach hmm. and it was in that moment that i i knew that i as a parent had a responsibility not that her white friends were wrong and the schools were just wrong for maybe not being diverse or the churches that we attend maybe not being diverse. That was my responsibility. Her identity is in her mother's hands and her purpose in her father's. And I Say that again. That, that, okay, that was good. Really, yeah, I, like I don't that. know. I don't remember. Her identity, <laughs> her identity yeah. is in her mother's hands and her purpose is in her father's, her heavenly father's. And I needed to do a better job. And I realized I had to check myself. I said, one, I'm from Houston. We never talked about race. I was a competitive cheerleader. We didn't talk about it. It's not in the roots and the fabric of who I am as a human being, as a black American woman who grew up in Houston with a super diverse crowd and a lot of white friends. I said, the reason she wants to be Peach is not because she sees her other friends who are majority around her. It is because I haven't made her proud of who she is. Oh. And that's on me. Hmm. And I just think... There, there's a responsibility that we sometimes want to push 
on the majority as if we don't have voices. And it goes back to the psychology of believing that our voice doesn't matter because of what's been oppressed on us. But you know what I did do? Here go the Houston voice right I, there. I hear H-Town. I went to Spotify, pulled up Brown Skin Girl, and played that thing on repeat. I ordered every black ballerina Barbie doll. <laughs> I read the Misty Copeland ballerina book. She talks about brown skin and ballerinas and the first ba ba black ballerina in the world. And I did my job and my part. And now, if you look at her little pictures, she got all the little colors. Unfortunately, her Hispanic friends are orange. It's weird, okay? <laughs> you gotta find that color. It's the burnt orange. Sure. It's hard, okay? <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's difficult. But I think we have a responsibility as parents, both black and white, to bring it up and to do it well. And yeah. Jordan, can I also say, though, back to your point about how great of a mom you are, she, little Dylan, also gets her picture taken and posted on social media outside of a hospital mm. praying for someone that will remain unnamed who is a different who who is peach <laughs> peach peach and yeah. pointing at the window where he is because mom wants her to know that mm. we celebrate this and we pray for people who don't look like us yeah yeah Th Ooh. that's that's the that we've got to do that more. Mm -hmm. What does that What does that mean to you, Stuart? You, you said you talked about creating these really diverse friend groups and diverse tables. What does that image do uh, to you? For me personally, yeah. it, I think it, what it's done is it's caused me to dig deeper into uh, our country's history. Yeah. Um, it it. I think more than anything else, it it uh, it makes you become honest about who we really are, which has caused us as parents to just like, you know, what Tony was saying with Dylan, we made a conscious decision when our kids were, when Grant was about to go into high school to move to a school where there was more diversity because we didn't want them around just peach people. <laughs> um, so I think it, I think it, it tilts your mindset to begin mm -hmm. to see the world correctly. The worst thing we can do is ask the wrong question. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're surrounded by people who think like you, act like you, have the same worldview as you, you start yeah. asking the wrong questions, you're going to get the wrong answers. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. being around those people causes us to ask the right questions, which, which begins to help you shape your worldview in a, in a way that changes your life. Yeah. This one's this one's an all play. So whoever whoever wants to take it, this Eat is you. It. Uh -huh. um, do you guys remember your first brush with racism? Like, can you picture when that was, or your first moment where you realized you were privileged, or what? You know, when did you become aware of this? Yeah. So my mom moved us from the inner city to uh, suburbs when we were in third grade, and so. I just remember walking into my class, the whole class looking at me. First time in my life I felt different. That's the only mm -hmm. word I knew to say because, I mean, my mom had not talked to me much about race because I grew up around all black people up until that point. And my mom was incredible about having conversations afterwards, especially once I was able to, when she saw me processing these emotions and these thoughts. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember the first time I was called the N-word, but I remember the first time that I was excluded. Uh, I, can't say I, I can't say I remember the specific time, but I remember fourth grade was when I – realized and I made the decision that I would not put 
myself on any white person because I was too much of a burden. Uh, I walked in, caught a white friend saying some really bad things about me. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was racist. I just think he was put uh, put a lot of pressure was placed on him for just trying to be my friend, and he was just mm-hmm. trying to save face. And I think that uh, I learned at that age that um, – one loud, ignorant voice can quiet an entire room. And so mm-hmm. I think there were people in my childhood that wanted to be my friends, but uh, but just were too intimidated because it was too high stakes. Yeah. Uh, I was the, uh, myself and my brothers were the only blacks at our school. So it was three of us at the, at the entire school. So it was pretty brutal. I didn't even speak until uh, 12th grade. And so I was, I, was, I was bullied, silent child. And so, yeah, there's tons of like moments of you try to say something you're ridiculed because you talk with the slang. Um, I learned to listen well, so I think that's how I process it now. <laughs> I say, hey, you learn to be a great listener from that. But um, I really would say this, even though many of them didn't stick up for me, in their eyes I saw that they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was enough at that stage of my life. I think I was willing to see and say, I, I, I'm beginning to understand that the Power of a few can control the many, mm. and uh, and I still hold on to that. Now I say you have to liberate uh, neighborhoods, and sometimes it's suburban neighborhoods. But the power of a few, a few well placed signs uh, with a few well placed neighbors who are loud and, uh, and and bold with it could could make uh, others feel like, well, I just I don't want to lose so much. It's, comfort is the greatest threat to progress, and so mm. I understand that you have to let them know, hey, it's time to go ahead and, and, and shake things up. So I would say that's yeah. my story. I love that. I really love my story because as I have started to just have different types of friends, I've, I've found more black people with my story. And what I would normally say is, you know, I really haven't experienced like just blunt racism. It's so interesting. I really haven't felt oppressed in any situation. I haven't felt chosen or disqualified. Um, what I'm grateful for is that I have recognized the systemic racism in my life. And that's what is eating at our country right now. Mm. And this is how it came. Grew up in Houston, Texas, thought everything was nice and dandy. I would even say things like, if we're just going to be authentic out here, <laughs> why are black people so mad? We have mm. so many opportunities. My, pa- I mean, middle class family, I'm doing my thing, I'm going on the trips for competitive cheerleading, all the things. When I got to Atlanta, here's what shook me to my core. How long ago was that, by the way? How long? Ten years ago. Ten years ago. I was just a fresh puppy, okay? <laughs> just a fresh puppy. It'll be ten years in July. I got here at 19, fresh out of college, crazy, wild, unsaved, twerking. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> Same. Be real. Did Same. you say twerking yeah, or working? That last <laughs> twerking. Working, working, working. You know, working, working. I just want y'all to know your girl wasn't saved yet, okay? okay. You know? That's good to know. Um <laughs> <laughs> right. That's who. Hey. Um, okay. So I get here, and when I have this culture shock, I'm like, whoa. Like, I literally had never seen so many black people like in one place. I went to Six Flags, Linux. It was crazy. I was like, whoa, this is wild. But then I started meeting black, successful people. And it dawned on me that in Houston, the CEOs and the COOs and the managers, the people in really high positions were white, but the ones in Atlanta were black, a lot of them. And it was as if I realized that it was even an opportunity, that the space was even open for black people to then realize the oppression that I had raised up, that I had been raised around and didn't even notice it. That's so because good. it was, and I was like, oh snap, 
this why they mad but they don't know it in Houston because you just grow up around it it's so interesting if you look at social media right now a lot of the Houston videos and pictures are extremely peaceful because a lot of blacks in Houston do not experience the oppression that Georgia Alabama the Carolinas Tennessee experiences and it's such a it's very very interesting it's very under the under the radar yeah Mm -hmm. so interesting um so do you remember when you realized like hey there I have some privilege that I'm not I didn't know I'm about? not sure a white person can actually speak to that intelligently hmm. because our 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 entire being is privileged totally mm. so to recognize it like there are privileges that I have as a white man that I'm not even aware of mm. so uh yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I could speak to that intelligently because I think hmm. without me even knowing it, knowing it, I'm I'm privileged. Yeah. I do remember wow. uh my junior year in high school being I, I tried out for Alabama's junior Olympic basketball team and made the team and was the only white guy on the team and all my African American teammates would fight with each other because they didn't want to room with me. Mm. And I remember how that felt. Mhm. Um, I remember what it felt like to be the only white dude walking in a gym and all eyes on you and you had to flip the script. What I did was flip the script and that's how these guys feel all the time. Hmm. And it really changed me. Hmm. It, like empathy was birthed in me hmm. because of that experience. I, I didn't I didn't get offended by them fighting about it. I was like, man, this is what the plight of African-Americans feels like. Mm. So I, I can't speak to the privilege thing at all. Because I, I, I would say a lot of messages and conversations I'm having are, are especially young uh, white people saying, I, I'm awakened to the fact that I'm privileged. Mm-hmm. And I and I, at this point I've been in denial. Mm. Um, and then there's this like, there's this, I don't know what to do with this. And, and with you being a white male, I mean, is there anything you would give um, give African Americans or Mexican Americans some perspective on how do you handle a white person who's approaching you saying, I want to admit that at this point, up to this point in my life, I have denied my privilege, but now I'm willing to accept it. Uh, some some minorities might be like, you've been racist. <laughs> <laughs> so you've yeah. been racist, basically what yeah. you've been telling me. Uh, but I, I, I've been balancing. I don't think that should be our correct posture, but can you give yeah. us a little bit of insight oh, as gosh. to... Um, well, the, the difficult part is you're wanting me to sit in your seat, and I can't. Mm. I'm, mm. I've, I've never been African-American. I don't know what that is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I can tell you is that if a white person comes to you and says, my eyes have been open to my privilege, very much with what Tony said, if if you can give them some grace, <laughs> right. Um, I think you've got a chance to help them really make some headway in this yeah. issue. The tough part, though, is that you're, you know, like you guys have, we're tired. You're tired. And I'm, I'm even weary mm-hmm. of those friends that I have that are the same color as me that don't see their privilege. Mm-hmm. So I can't even imagine what it's like to sit yeah. where you're sitting and hear that. Well, that's why I was so proud. I was so happy when Tony said earlier that that it's that 
that Christian piece that we're able to say, look at the Acts 2 church as they're building it, and race played such a huge mm-hmm. role right. in here they are trying to work with people that don't look like them outside of their culture. Yeah. And you're watching them say, hey, we may be tired, but we have to keep. And so I will say I've been reading a lot more yeah. right. of that part of the Bible in these days because I'm like, okay, you have to – this was this is not new. This problem is not new. No. Jesus right. came and destroyed cultural lines, and, and the people were left to try to figure out how to do it well. But <laughs> if, but if we can put our head down and dive into that, I think there's some power in that because if we're really honest about the first century, second century, third century church, mm-hmm. it was in the third or fourth century when people who had resonated with Jesus' message about the oppressed, uh, the Sermon on the Mount was probably the greatest utterances ever. Then the church goes from being in the catacombs to the basilica, and now they have power. And we we started reading even the scriptures differently. Mm. And instead of it being about freeing the slave and there's no longer, you know, slave or master, it, it became about power. Mm. And there are people that are going to listen to this. I mean, if you think about it, we're even fighting about that today, that, you know, Christ, Christians want a position as opposed to humbling ourselves and yep. and loving our neighbor as ourself. Yep. So it, it's deeply theological. That's why when people throw this BS, sorry, I said BS. Yeah, I want you to Can say it. Can we edit that out? Yeah, I wish you would have just said it. Or. Okay. <laughs> when people throw this BS at me about quit being political because you've, you're a Jesus follower, there may not be anything more theological and deeply seated in the heart of God than loving people. And mm. this is a people issue. Yeah. That's why Acts 2 is such a big deal. That's why Peter going into the house of Cornelius mm-hmm. the first time was such a big deal. Um, and, and Jesus set the table for that, the way he treated uh, the, the woman at the well, yeah. the story he tells about the Samaritan. Mm. Um, and so all of that, it's a deeply theological issue. So I don't think you can... Discount that, and I hope and pray that if you guys are approached by someone that's going, I'm understanding my privilege more and more, that you can be like Jesus because that's yeah. desperately what they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. It is. It, you can't untie the two. No, for sure. And so many people want to. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Keep them. Keep my church life is over here, and my my political life is over here. Is this as if this is just like a political thing? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really like to keep them separate. Yeah, I, but I think this too. I think. We all also, as Christians, have to know that everyone's not Christian. Hmm. I mean, there's a large percentage of the people that's rioting downtown, that's rioting all over our nation, who would be like, nah, like, I don't even, like, what are y'all talking? I'm not going to church. I'm not, no, I don't want to treat this as a Jesus issue. And I think we have to figure out what to do with that, too. Because what we can't do is wave our Bibles, and I am a Christian communicator. I will shout Jesus from the rooftop. What I love what that Stewart said was this is a people issue. Fine. If you don't want to lace it in love and the truth of Jesus, cool. But outside of that, like humanity still belongs to each. We are still connected. I have the privilege to work with preemptive love. And I have Muslim coworkers, Muslims on my team, people from the LGBTQIA plus community. They still belong to me 
and I still belong to them. And if they don't belong, I dang sure don't belong. Mm. And if I am going to come to a table and bring my beliefs in Jesus and I'm going to challenge anybody, I dang sure better be willing to lay that on the table, too, so that they can have the presence and dignity that they deserve as a human being. And I have to believe that as a Christian because God made them too, even without the salvation. Take the salvation out. That's still God's son and daughter if you believe it as a Christian. And I think that's a messy ride too. Yeah. But so let's get real. Because she's, yeah. she's poking at something that is an underlying issue in the capital C church. Mm-hmm. And, that as we, and that is we believe that we're a Christian country. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at social media, there are so many people throwing the simplistic answer, what our country needs is God. Well, Tony just nailed it. There's a ton of people in our country that could not give a rip about God. Yep. So consequently, we have to be Jesus to them yep. instead of expecting people to play by play by God's rules when they haven't even joined the team. <laughs> yeah. And yep. they have no interest None. at all. Yep. That's a growing number too. It Come is. On. Oh, absolutely. It absolutely. Is. Yep. So so somewhere in the solution, it seems like from what you guys are saying, there is a pull together of everyone. But I love what you said if you I belong to them, they belong to me, we belong. Yeah. It's a human thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's why I think that so these conversations good. as people are calling, you're 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 keeping an eye on the bigger picture because yeah. yes, this may be the first time that they're saying I have I have something that is blocking my perspective. Mm. But I'm thinking we, we all are going to need to shine bright in a world that is trapped mm-hmm. in darkness and yeah. they're looking for hope and they're looking for joy and they're looking for love. And so I understand I need my brothers and sisters. There's a reason why Jesus truly celebrated culture but did not just see people as color, but he saw people as sons and daughters. And so mm-hmm. I think as I'm looking out, I'm thinking it doesn't matter your color. I, I need you yeah. to be loving the way that Jesus called us to love because we can't just expect them to understand God. We need to have, they need to see God on us, and, and that's something that it's our responsibility. Let me just say this last thing. I'm so sorry. No, come on. This is not the In last my daughter's thing. Class. Not the last thing. <laughs> I lied, I lied, I lied. In my daughter's class, there's Hispanic and white and Muslim and, I mean, so many different nationalities and beliefs. If I only hinged love for my daughter on belief, then how in the world— can I expect her friends to be nice to her if they don't believe like she believes? So good. We we literally, like, I, I hope that we get out of the haze of my belief is going to fix this and into the, the very clear 2020 vision of I can believe what I believe and I want to have, yeah, so many people at the table, but I need them to bring their own chair. I, I will not have chairs that say if you're Christian and you love this way and you look this way and you're going to come to my table. Now, let's all fix this issue. No, 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 no. I need the Muslim Americans that are down the street to love my daughter well. I need the atheist to love my daughter well and the Christians. And I, I need the Buddhists to love my daughter well. Like, that's how big this is. This is a world thing. And I just I just hope that we're not waving the simple stick of Christianity over this issue. That's so good. I, you know what I'm grateful for? When I was in the hospital for a month last month, James said, you show me your works or you show me your faith and I'll show you my works. Mm-hmm. I am really grateful that doctors and nurses, mm. many of whom don't share the same belief system that I have, mm-hmm. work their tail off to save my life. 
Come on. Mm-hmm. While so many people were praying, and you're not at all hearing me say that prayer doesn't change things because, oh, because I know I know I'm sitting here because people prayed, but I'm also sitting here because doctors and nurses worked their tail off. Yeah. Come and on. and that's kind of where we are as a country as it relates to this race issue. That we have to do the work. Yep. We can't just let's just pray this away. We've got to do the work. So good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> gotta do it. We gotta, gotta do, do it. it. We gotta do it. Tony, you wrote this is on your Instagram. Uh, I loved it. And you said, You can't ask or demand equality for your own sphere of the world if you can't be brave enough to demand it for everyone. Uh oh. Even the ones you don't agree with. <laughs> I think I already said that. I already it, talked about it. It's that. perfect. I think it's, I, I, you did. And I just, I, when you said when you, what you were saying, I just yeah. called back to it because it is, it's such a, this is an everyone thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, with that in mind, with okay, this is an everyone thing, right? And there are so many people that are feeling so many emotions. We've expressed mm-hmm. some of them. Um, yeah, I was at uh, was at one of the protests yesterday. I saw people on all different sides of the spectrum. People um, who seemed angry as I talked to them. People that seemed exhausted as I talked to them. People that seemed hopeful as I talked to them. With all of that, the big question that everyone's asking is, okay, what do we do? What is it? What is the what is the next step? For someone who is angry yeah. or is exhausted or is hopeful or is whatever and is facing this issue and wants to burn the ships and not go back to where we were. Yeah. How do we make this not just another blip on the radar, but an actual time to stake in the ground and say, no, we're moving forward and we're refusing to go back and we're refusing to be okay with another video coming out of another murder? Uh, what is that? I... I- I, I hate to even do this, but I feel like I have to flip it on you because oh, gosh. <laughs> because you represent. So you're, you're are you Gen Z? You're Gen Z. I'm right on. I'm right on the uh, the transition. Right I'm on like that, the year. Right on the yeah, edge. Yeah, yeah. And so as you're walking through that, because uh, I've been having a lot of conversations with with this generation coming, and there is this. There's the boomers. There's the millennials, and there's the Gen Z. And there's uh, all those that stand on the edges. It, when you're looking at it, how much of that do you feel when you're like this? We have to do something because honestly, when you're looking at these protests, this is a Gen Z driven yeah. protest. I mean, it's very different than the Rodney King era where they're burning the wrong communities. Uh, only one, only one area, Los Angeles, was the only place that this all happened. And now we're watching, uh, we're watching social media allow this to grow in ways, uh, and the messaging of it, the narrative of it, the mm. images of it. I mean, you're watching Gen Z put together a protest that is pretty mind baffling to those those of us that are watching it. So mm-hmm. as you're entering in and you literally are showing up on the scene yesterday, what what are you processing as far as someone who's young walking in on you understand this is just your generation's turn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah, what are you thinking before before we get to going? Because here we are. Obviously we have our thoughts, but you're entering. You're entering in yeah. is that was that your yeah. first protest? Uh second. 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 Come yeah. on. Um Man, what was I feeling? You know, I think there is there is this feeling that I've noticed in Gen Z, and you've seen it the past few years on other issues of we are actually going to do something about this. Yeah, of there these are our issues, and we're refusing them to let them be issues for our kids. You expressed that so beautifully mm-hmm. earlier, Tony. Um, and the hopeful side of me feels a lot of hope in that that we're going to make action happen. Yeah. Uh, it, it feels a little disorganized, if I'm being honest. It feels like yeah. there's a lot of emotion without a whole lot of funneling at the moment. Yeah. Um, and as I was out there, I felt the same thing. It felt like a lot of emotion, but no one really... I was uh, actually in a conversation with... There was a cop and then a few protesters, and the 
cop was like, man, uh, African-American cop. And he's like, no one has come to me to tell me what they want yet. Mm. Mm. He said, people have come out here and told me they're angry, but no one has, has yet to come out here and say what exactly they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where this generation seems to stand is they're angry. They're kind of like James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause status of like, they're just angry but don't know yeah. um, what it is. And so the hopeful side of me says, oh my gosh, look at all these people that are saying we're not going back. Yeah. Um, and then there's a side of me that's like, man, I, I hope that's true and it's not just another thing. Yep. Yeah. Does that make sense? 100%. But I have seen some real movement from this generation. Um, I feel like the last few years it's been gun control has been the big one yeah. for them. And there's been real movement. Uh, and you saw kids in Parkland who end up in Congress, you know, making moves. Yeah. yeah. And th- I think that sort of precedent gives me hope for where we're at. Yeah. That's uh, good. But I don't know if I see the same organization yet. And maybe it sparks out of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope it does. Yeah. That's really good. Mm. So that's where that's where I'm at. Well, well, shoot. I think everyone's going to have to do something different because everyone's in different places. I think that's the truth. I would say for some of my white friends, they're like, dang, I got to go learn. Hmm. And they're just in that season where they're like, do you have any books? Do you have any podcasts? Do you have any recommendations? I have some friends that's like, forget it. I got a whole list. Shout out to my threes. You know what I'm saying? The Enneagrams. <laughs> got it. They're just like, I got it. I got it. Them off. I'm reading this. I'm reading this. I'm reading this. I'm doing this. I'm having this conversation with God them. bless um, the threes. Right. I yeah. just love it. <laughs> um, and I think there's some people, as Dr. Bernice King said the other night, um, I think it was last night, she said, we, we really are going to have to get some laws and some North Stars um, hmm. like ready, like kicked up and ready. Um, she talked a little bit about... Um, just some different police reforms and different um, intake processes that need to begin to put, just go back in place. Um, there's, in my opinion, I think there's going to need to be some posture training. I think there's going to need to be some hard rules on white cops maybe can't serve in specific areas if they don't have a black counterpart or they have to live in the area that, that, that they serve. Or there's going to have to be a four-week, six-week, six-month posture training around Nonviolence 365 with King and racial history, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we're going to have to get some, like, we're going to get some things on paper, 110%. But it has to be both and because e- how many laws have we broke? I mean, I was smoking weed all throughout college. We're just going to be real. Them laws is on the paper, but Girl, that doesn't mean we follow them. real in this thing. Yeah. No, let's just be honest. You yeah. got to be honest out here. Yeah. How many laws have we, do we continue to break? And so, we then also have to have the psychological change. And that only comes with people doing their work. And as Stuart said, um, doing life with people that are different than them, looking at the last 20 texts and calls that they have and saying, oh, dang, yeah, all these people are just like me. Um, so, yeah, it's both in. I think, I mean, and we're seeing some NAACP posted some yeah. action steps last night. Yeah, uh, I, I know it. sometimes when you say that NAACP, some people begin to shut down. Uh, Obama. Obama had an awesome post today. Very, very actionable. Yes. It was awesome. Yes. I think he was practical. He looked at the, the, the situation as a whole and really began to speak to it and say, here are some possible solutions or at least uh, conversations that can begin that hopefully will lead to possible solutions. Because I do think we need those action mm-hmm. steps. Uh, that's that's all that's left. I think looking at it with an accurate perspective, I think the number one question I'm getting is why are they so mad and why are they protesting and even some of which are even rioting. And I keep saying if you uh, to the parents who have a child, if your little one comes back mm-hmm. and has a black eye um, and you say someone punched me in the eye, 
I think every parent knows, okay, you can tell him to turn the other cheek and you can, and you yeah. might say, turn the other cheek, love him well. And mm-hmm. he comes back with two black eyes. Now you say, okay, um, I want you to just forgive the kid, love him again. He comes back with two black eyes and a broken rib. And at some point, mm. there's something in a parent that's going to say the next time he balls his fists up for you, you need to punch him back so that he knows. And I think that's what a protest is. I tell him, hey, this is the moment where you're saying, I have to let them know I'm getting punched in the eyes. I am now beaten. I'm broken. I am battered. And yeah. I have to fight back. And I know the word fight is intimidating and scary, but yeah. this is your child who is saying, mom, dad, what do I do? And you have to look at them at some point and say, you yeah. have to fight so that they know that you are you are worth it. I, I keep saying they are fighting for their worth. God's children mm-hmm. made in the image of God uh, that are told by a world you are less than. Mm-hmm. And so there, it, it's, it's necessary for, um, for Tony to let Dylan know, her, her daughter, hey, you are beautiful. You are fearfully, wonderfully made. Black is beautiful. And as you're watching them in on, on the streets crying and yelling in anger and saying, we don't deserve this. We are more. You are watching a people say, I know I have worth. Mm-hmm. I know I deserve to be treated the same way you do yeah. treat it. it. I know this system doesn't give it to me. I know this system doesn't even see me as that, but I know God sees me as that. I know my mama told me that I am mm-hmm. that, and I will fight. I will do whatever it is. It is it's very similar to, and I, and I, and I work a lot with, with storytelling and film, so I love it, but it's, it's, it's very similar to Avengers. You got you got Thanos who, who judged uh, humans and said they're flawed, and as we're watching the Avengers, Sure, they they got a little carried away and some buildings were knocked over. Mm. And while we're watching this movie, we're saying we could have said they need to stop fighting. They need to stop fighting because they knocked over a couple buildings. And and yet there was something in us that said, no, 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 they need to keep fighting. But why did we feel that way? We felt that way because we understood what they were fighting for. Mm. We understood our lives were on the line here. And so our thought was, okay, they knocked over some buildings. We're going to give them some grace because they need to stop. Thanos, there's a power that's so big that so much is at stake, they have to do what they can. And they get back up and they fight and they fight and they fight. Sure, there's conflict. We understand that's history. It doesn't matter the culture. It doesn't matter the time. Conflict oftentimes creates change. And as we're watching that movie, you're watching people step up and say, we understand we're flawed. We understand that you have righteously judged us to say that we are less than and we deserve this fatal outcome. But we will make a stand because we understand our worth and we will die trying. And I believe that's what you are watching with the people today. They are saying we will make our stand. We are fearfully, wonderfully made in the image of God. And if you don't believe that, then we will yell it and we will die trying. Mm, That's good. That's so good. Let's do it again. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Quickly, I want to start like small concentric circle and work my way out. My first responsibility as a man made in the image of God and as a husband and as a father Mm -hmm. is to model the example of what it means to love my neighbor as myself. That's That's my first and foremost responsibility. My children, our children are not going, this is more caught than it is taught. And if they don't see me, having a diverse table, if they don't see me loving people that are different than me, if they don't see me standing up, um, Tony's husband texted me today and I just told him, I stand beside you, I'll stand behind you, whatever you need me to do. Um, And even when things happen locally, if they don't see that, then 
we really don't stand a snowball's chance in hell of their them following that. Yeah. That's number one. If I move out a little bit more, I'm a part of a faith community. Mm-hmm. And I would challenge people to ask yourself some really hard questions about your faith community. For example, does your community of faith have a history of marginalizing minorities? Because you can speak to that. You may not be able to speak to the president of the United States, but you can speak to your communities of faith. And I know it works because these two people right here have had an impact on my particular community of faith. And we've, we've seen even this, even yesterday, a post that I went, Oh my gosh, we wouldn't have seen it two years ago. Am I right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. So, so I think we have to think about that. I think we have to be honest and recognize that we have churches around our country that relocated because their original facility was in a place that was dominated by minorities. And so we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. Did you relocate to be more accessible or did you relocate because you didn't want to reach the people that were surrounded your church? Mm. Those are real issues that we can, we can deal with. And then moving out farther, I think this is really, this is really beats, this beats in my heart. And I want to say this to you, Jordan, as a Gen Zer, we need men and women that are much younger than I, yeah, who will make a decision that instead of, if you're gifted and wired and passionate to do full time Christian service, incredible, but if you have a heart to see reform and change in our country. We need your generation to take up the mantle because the issue, and both Joseph and Tony have spoken to it much more eloquently than I can, this is about systemic oppression. And until we break the system, we really are up against like a a moving target. Mm -hmm. It should burden us that the country of Canada has had a national day of repentance for their treatment of Aboriginal people. And we barely get an acknowledgement that slavery was a sin and is America's original sin. Mm. We need leaders who have a moral compass and clang when they walk and make change. And that will not happen until we have those people that are decision makers and, you know, playmakers in strategic places in our country that will fight for that kind of thing. And I think it, I th- back to Joseph's point, I think it's your generation that'll change it. It feels different right now. Yeah. It, oh, man, it yeah. feels different because of your generation. So that's my three cents. I love it. I do have one more thing. <laughs> that's what you said last time. Don't I, you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will say this. I do want to speak to you know the christians directly especially those that believe in prayer we cannot ignore that there's a spiritual warring as well we literally cannot it made me think about this when you were speaking Stuart, because i remember being laid prostrate on my guest room floor praying for you and your health and for god to do a miracle listen god is still in the business of doing miracles that ain't changed it will never change and i mean that's it and I say miracle because this is some hard, Mm -hmm. deeply rooted stuff. It is going to take nothing short of an entire miracle for us to uproot and literally break the fabric of an entire freaking country. Right. 
so that equality can grow bit by bit. And so if you are a prayer warrior out here, please be vying in the spirit and pulling the demonic and evil forces that are also behind this as well. Mm. I just want to say that. Let's not us let us not forget. Yeah. If if our country at its beginning was called the great experiment, we have to be honest and admit the experiment isn't working. And mm. if it isn't working, we need to change the tests. Come on. And that's what she's talking about through prayer and the spirit of God moving and burning the ships and being courageous. Yeah. We may see some incremental change. I I mean, that's what I pray for my children. I do not want our kids growing right. up in a country where this kind of systemic oppression exists. Yeah. And it's going to ruffle some feathers. Oh, that's, yeah. some, that's something I've been thinking about. I mean, people are, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. That's really good to point out. And I think a lot of people expect it to be very nice, a nice, easy transition. Mm-mm. And the more and more I see people talking, and even just hearing you guys now, it's like, yeah, it's not going to yeah. be. It's going to take fighting the Thanos. Yeah. Thanos being racism was the best metaphor I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> awesome. I'd like to share it, it also explained yeah. why I've been so uneasy when I see the Transformers yeah. destroy, destroy you know, a city. It's like, you know what? That's what it is. Yeah. That's it. That's it right That's there. It. <laughs> wow. Gosh. It is true. It is, it is going to be It's tricky because I, a young guy hit me up last night. He posted and he said followers immediately started dropping them. And, mm. and it hurts. And he was like, how do you handle this? And I said, listen, when you make a stand, sometimes some people are going to be like, I don't want to. But to the people who are are standing with us, uh, no matter where you're standing, just know that you are on the right side of history. Ooh. And, and let's yeah. pray. Let's pray that those other people catch on, and they be, and you continue to lead by example. And maybe they might catch it down the road. But just know you are on the right side of history. Yeah, burning the ships might be a relationship. Yeah, you know, Ooh. for sure. That's good for sure. Which is yeah. not easy. We're going real including deep right your now. immediate family or extended family. And that's oh, hard. Oh, man. Okay, you can love from a distance. <laughs> you, don't have to do that, you know? I can only imagine how many people might have to burn the ships in relationships, especially, definitely, uh, definitely white people. I mean, no question. Especially in the South. Well, yeah. I, think, I think about this all the Kelly and I had this conversation the other day. If moms and dads in our position would do what our moms and dads didn't do during the civil rights movement. Or we're scared to do Mm. in the civil rights movement. And that is have the proper perspective about this and begin Mm. to help our children. That's why I think, Jordan Grant, you guys are the future. You're the hope. But it's going to take moms and dads that have my skin pigment to have really difficult conversations that they may never have had before. I, I had a young lady who's a junior in college tell me the other day that she was talking to someone really, really close to her. And this young lady is a person of color and she's talking to an adult and the adult, she was asking some really hard questions about what's going on. And this adult said to her, I don't even talk to my parents, my husband or my children about this. Mm. And you're asking me to tell you what I think about it. Mm. And I think that's part of the issue. And this, this person was white We've got to have really hard conversations, yeah. admit when we're wrong, yep. and maybe we can help the next generation be prepared to take the mantle. To take on and lead it. Yep. Wow. 
Do you guys see that? Yep. Yeah, the that chair. was awesome. That chair just, <laughs> getting ready. Let me give everyone a visual. Just uh, <laughs> hit the little thing in the chair that sunk me down real far. You went right down I there I thought it was a dramatic ships. effect. I was like, that, does that mean you're floored by uh, his last thing? No, just stay down here. I went from being 6'2 to about 5 nothing in seconds. <laughs> I love that that happened. Uh, me too. <laughs> me too. As we, uh, as we close, start to close here, and I could have this conversation forever. This is so yeah. fun, and you guys have had so much. Um, so much to say that I think is really impactful people are going to relate to and hopefully be able to actually change with and we were kind of hitting on the hope thing earlier where where is the hope where do you find the hope when in a world that feels so dark with everything going on for people listening where's the where is that hope um one i think you have that's a posture issue it's there hope is there light is there you gotta look for it you got to search for it. You got to keep your head up just at least above water long enough to say, there it is. There it is in my daughter. There it is in that relationship. There's that hope. Um, and then, I mean, we have to believe it. I mean, I, I talked about this earlier on social media. I said, man, if if we don't hope, then what do we have to fight for? And I think we see the fruit of what's already come, even though that's very difficult in this season. But I, I saw the fruit yesterday when me and my daughter swam in our neighborhood pool with white people. And that's little compared to what we need to do. But there's hope. It's there. It's maybe small, but it's there. And if you're a believer, you know there's hope. I mean, it started, with, it started with me saying um, uh, silence is violence was what I was processing on. And then um, watching Stephen Furtick, Pastor Stephen Furtick, yeah, uh, just yesterday. Okay. And he says... Uh, my son, 12 years old, was the first one to see this clip of George. And then he tells him about it. He said, mm-hmm. I can see in my son's eyes. The, he said, Dad, you don't need to watch this. And he said, I was looking at hopelessness. And he made this statement that I felt like mm-hmm. paired really well with silence is violence. He said, despair is just as deadly mm-hmm. as uh, denial. And he said, you can't live in denial. That silence is violence. So we can't live in denial and act like it's not there. And let's just not say anything about it. That's, the, that's, that's violent. That's literally deadly. But he said, but I was looking at my son and I realized that despair is just as deadly. You can't live in either. And I would think that speaks exactly to what you're saying. I think that to the people who are saying, you know what, it's just never going to change. Let's just live in this darkness and Mm. and throw in the towel. I think that that is just as deadly as denial. And so I would I would encourage them to say, no, 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 no. If you believe that um, that God is a way maker, if you don't, if you don't believe in God, then you still need to have hope in people. Believe that there's that there's good in every single human being, and I think that all of us can say there's got to be good in every single human being. You've seen glimpses uh, of of beauty and light and love yeah. in every single person, and so this is a plea to them to say, listen, people are capable. People can rise up. People can change. There's no reason for us to throw in the towel. Uh, just like you said, you you see progress in different areas just with your generation. And I think our generation is watching your generation. Mm -hmm. We're learning. Uh, But our generation still has hope, too. We understand, okay, we might have lost in the past, but we can lose again and we can lose better. And Mm. sure, losing better means that it may not work this time, but we're getting closer and closer and closer. And that's That's just that that continues to give us hope. Yeah, that's so good. Um, As a Jesus follower, my hope is Christ in me and not me in a different set of circumstances. Mm. So I think that's important to realize. Yeah. Is it doesn't mean that I change my circumstances because it's too hard. I have the ability and the hope that lives in me yeah. to, to be 
hope in dark circumstances. Bishop Jake said that darkness is not an entity, it's an outcome. Oh. And it's the it's the absence of light. It's not a it's not an entity. That's good. Mm. And I think it's important as we close to think about this that people of the light that sit around and talk about the light, sing about the light, podcast about the light, mm-hmm. write songs about the light, write write books about the light, but we never attack the darkness. Yeah. We're not really doing ourselves any good. Yeah. Um I I, I tweeted today a quote by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He talked about the fact that racism is like dust in the air. You can't see it until the light hits it. And so we've got to be people of light. And the more we're light, the more we're able to see it, the more we can deal with it. Come on, light Mm. doesn't serve its purpose. Come on. Without the darkness. Burn the ships. Burn the ships. Give it light. Burn the ships. I love that. <laughs> That'll be the light. That is it. That is going to be the opener right there. Tony, <laughs> Tony came here twerking. Yeah, she yes, came. I did. <laughs> On the ship. Okay. Oh. 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 And she has one more thing to say. She promises. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. That's the best. That's too good. Guys, um, I have a lot of hope listening to this conversation and yeah. knowing that more and more of this is happening. I don't, yeah. I, you know, I, I hear this happening more and more all the time. And just the fact that there are so many people engaged on what's going on. Um, yeah, it gives me a lot of hope for what's going on. And it is challenging and it is hard. And it is inspiring all at the same time. So embrace the suck, people. Embrace, embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. <laughs> That's, I'm going to change the podcast title to embrace the suck. Embrace, That's way embrace better. the suck. Yeah, I tell myself that Copyright every day when that. I go to physical therapy. <laughs> this is it. This I am embracing the, embrace suck. the suck. The suck is in me. <laughs> or for those of you that are King James fans, the sucketh. The sucketh. <laughs> This is the best. Wow. I'm going to use that. I'm stealing that. That's going in the sermon real quick. Watch. Don't be mad when I like make a graphic for that mug tomorrow. Uh, (laughs) No credit. No credit to Stuart. No, that's fine. (laughs) Solomon said there's nothing new on the sun. Steal away. That's so funny. Guys, what a good time. Thanks for being here. And, uh, yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Totally. Truly. Burn honored. the ships. Burn them. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's the that's the burning ship song. If you didn't know. Boom goes the dynamite. Goes the dynamite. Goes boom. And that's also. <laughs> and that is the end. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for listening to Burn the Ships. If you enjoyed this, or if it was really helpful for you, I know it was for me. Make sure to share it with a friend. I think that all of us have so much to learn in this conversation, no matter who you are but listening to voices of people from all over the spectrum is so important so if you enjoyed it share it with a friend thank you so much for listening to burn the ships